Malcolm Holmline is executive vice chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations and joins us for the weekly update on this Friday morning. Mr. Holmline, welcome back to JM in the AM. Thank you. It's great to be with you. I appreciate it. It's uh, very warm and cozy day. <laughs> People around the world don't realize what's going on here, but we're, we have 13 degrees here in, uh, in the New York City area. And uh, anybody uh, walking to Shul this Shabbos, make sure you bundle up properly. That may be the most important thing we say during the weekly update today, frankly, <laughs> is to remind everybody to be as careful as possible with this crazy weather. Well, it's been a couple of weeks since we've spoken. There's so much to talk about. I guess we should start. With the vote in the United Nations, the uh, vote was 128 to 9, 9 against uh, uh, the um, uh, the uh, resolution uh, coming uh, coming out condemning the United States for their new policy based on President Trump's announcement, a new policy regarding Jerusalem being the capital of Israel. I know there's no surprise here, but there's some interesting things in the aftermath of this vote of 128 to 9. Uh, can you confirm that there are, in fact, a significant number of countries that are now seriously considering moving their embassies to Jerusalem. Well, first of all, I think we should just review that people remember what happened with the, the original move by the president, which changed nothing on the ground, was a moral declaration more than a, a political declaration, I believe, in writing an injustice of decades standing and simply reflected what is American law adopted in 1995 under President Clinton, which declared that Jerusalem was the capital of Israel and urging that our embassy be moved and built in a waiver that everybody exercised every six months um, in order to avoid the penalties that were inherent in in the in the failure to actually implement the move if they didn't sign a waiver and declare it a national interest. Right. And so when it passed, you saw the reaction. I I was actually, I spoke last week at uh, an international Islamic conference uh, with Islamic leaders from 40 countries in Baku and Azerbaijan, many and many Christian leaders as well, and heard the the vitriol, the outrageous uh, statements, uh, some bordering on anti-Semitic, especially by the Iranians and Turks and others, um, and I responded very much in kind and very strongly to, to what they had to say. Uh, but you see how it's being exploited, not by grassroots reactions. And you remember everybody told us how the street would react. And you see that it's very limited and mostly inspired, uh, you know, incited, not sustained, no intifada, no, none of the other predictions uh, of massive uh, reaction. Uh, and all based on lies to, to, to being told to the people about what the implications of the U.S. move uh, was. And, of course, it ended up in a, uh, first going to the Security Council, where the U.S. vetoed it after standing alone, and then uh, to the General Assembly, where the automatic majority kicks in, and 128 countries voted for it, nine against it. But the really important message, which the media did not cover, was that 60-some countries did not vote for the measure. They either were absent, abstained, or voted against. And that is a really important statement. And I know that Ambassador Haley is going to do a reception for those 65. And as they said, they're taking notes. They're going to take names and see who stood with the U.S. and who did not. So that is what has led us uh, to the moment where we are. But we've seen other threats that the Turks said they're going to put an embassy in East Jerusalem for the Palestinians. Others have threatened other measures, uh, boycotts 
uh, all sorts of um, uh, especially emanating from the Palestinian Authority saying they won't meet with our negotiators, won't meet with Vice President Pence, uh, saying the United States has um, uh, eliminated itself as uh, as a, a facilitator for talks when there's nobody else but the United States who can do that. It's just a case again of of Abbas trying to seek to avoid his responsibility right. and yeah. and negotiate. I'm going to come to the uh, to your question, but it's important that people, because I know the people make comments to me, you have to look at it in the context of what really happened and and to see that on the ground it, it didn't change. And they see that, and yet they continue this this uh, incitement about Al-Aqsa being in danger, etc. Now, what I think is the most remarkable development, which you uh, noted, is how many countries, and I can tell you that I had meetings in this week during this week with representatives of several countries, two of whom said to me, could you help us find property in Jerusalem so we can prepare for an eventual move? And because 17 countries had embassies before in Jerusalem, many retained the buildings, but most did not. So I think there are supposedly 10 countries considering it. I know of, of several that are seriously considering it. And, and uh, uh, Guatemala... Uh, has courageously taken the lead on this. And uh, the foreign minister yesterday said, we don't care about the threats, we don't care about anything, this is our summer decision. And the right of every country to determine where its embassy should be, just as the right of every country to determine where its capital should be, is a, is a simple statement of sovereignty. If you're denying them those rights, you're denying them sovereignty. You tell the United States, you can't choose where you put your capital. Why not? Have you, what, who's to stop them? Have you heard Paraguay in that conversation? Yes, Paraguay, Romania, uh, Czech Republic. Um, I think Serbia was one of those that was considering it. Uh, Paraguay, Honduras uh, has come up. Um, there were a few. Also, no. you see the change that Argentina and Mexico abstained, so I think result of Netanyahu's visit. Uh, several African countries. Now, let, 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 a couple, before I ask you about the Islamic Countries Conference, which is fascinating, um, going back for a second, you just painted a picture that abstaining or being absent has a measure, a small measure, albeit, of heroism or courage. Let's put it that way for a moment. It will be dramatic for a moment. If that's the case, first of all, to the average layperson, we never viewed it that way. The average person, you know, right. there, there were nine heroic countries, two of them the U.S. and Israel, and that was it. Everybody was on the other side. It's interesting that you and Nikki Haley obviously uh, agree on this topic where, where those who abstained or were absent deserve recognition. But if that's the case, why wouldn't, I don't know, the U.K., France, Japan, hop on that bandwagon and, and, and ride the fence and show everybody that they're not ready to condemn Israel or the United States, but at the same time, you know, they want to, you know, they want to go ahead and um, express their, you know, political position. Wouldn't it have been really safe for real allies of the U.S. and those who claim to be allies of Israel to have rattled the fence in that way? Yes, or straddled, it's, I should say. Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> they would have been straddling, right. you know, um, sitting on the fence for long starts to hurt. Right. The the. <laughs> But no, it's a very good point. And the, the, again, the spineless Europeans who are signing their own death warrants with each of these moves, uh, couldn't even find the courage to, to abstain. Now, I think they decided to vote as a bloc, which is why some of the countries went along with it. But it, it's not, that's an excuse. It's not a, it's not an explanation. It's not a, a, a justification. 
they should have at least abstained or not shown up. And it, and it is a statement because one-third of the U.N. did not participate, did not support the move against Israel, right. the move against the United States right. in this case, actually. Right. And, and that's why the number is significant. I'm not saying to you that an abstention is the same as a vote against or that being absent is as good as an abstention. Uh, it is not, but it is when you look at the cumulative numbers, and it is a vote against in essence. So the you know they could not claim the victory that they wanted, which was to have the overwhelming majority, like in the in the um, Security Council of fourteen to one. They wanted that proportionately in the uh, in the General Assembly. They didn't get it, and the, uh, the European vote is outrageous. And people should let them know. They should write to every government, and if they have dealings with representatives or no consuls generals, ambassadors, anybody from these countries, from European countries in particular. To, to make their voices heard. And, and it also tells us, you know, don't take it, don't take for granted the friendship, you know, that the wonderful pronouncements, right. yet on a, on a fundamental issue, they quickly abandoned, which is typical of Europe. And, and I think that the administration, et cetera, should be, I hope people adhere to uh, your suggestion and mine about writing and to, to did. I know a lot of them contacted us for the information. It's still not too late to let the president know that we appreciate the stand that he took. Uh, it's going to be an ongoing battle, obviously. The media coverage of it was simply outrageous, so distorted, such a misrepresentation of, of the facts about Jerusalem. And the, about and the, editorial, the, the editorial reaction to it. Yeah. Insane. Yeah. Now, um, so, so France and the UK, for instance had the opportunity to be invited to the friendship reception, and they blew it. Simple as that. All they had to do was abstain, and they blew it. What's interesting to me is, uh, forget your, and you just explained it, you know, in terms of the the, the general European reaction to these things, um, you know, generally how, it, you know, how they react. But what's interesting to me is this is the week where we read not only of the Chinese investment in Israel, which is off the charts, right? You've told us, and, and the evidence is there. I mean, the billions and billions and hundreds of billions of dollars but then we read this week about Japan. I'm sure you saw the story, and you're, you're, you're very familiar with it, and you see their investment in Israel. What's interesting is that that these countries d- do not feel it's important that they either side with Israel or again abstain from the vote uh, when they're doing so much business. You'd think that you know that money, <laughs> which usually dictates everything, would at least push them toward that abstention. But Israel doesn't put the type of pressure on them. The U.S. doesn't, and therefore we don't get that type of result. So I'm not I'm not shocked that Japan and China are are abstaining or you know voting against uh, Israel and the United States in this type of scenario. It's just it's just funny. You see what type of serious financial, what seems like daily relationship these countries now have with Israel, and yet they're still on the other side politically. Right. But the uh, look, they make a distinction between their business is business. Right. And politics is politics, and what they think is expedient for them to do. And remember that they're all in competition uh, with one another. You, you already see the splits that are taking place, let's say, over Syria, where Turkey this week said they want Assad out, something that Iran and and, and um, Russia have insisted is, uh, is uh, essential and it has to stay. Um, and they're all competing against one another for influence in the Muslim world, sometimes in the Arab world, but also economically with deals, et cetera. So they see this as politically expedient. They don't mind sacrificing Israel or the U.S. on the altar of political expediency. 
But at the same time, they they will look at you and they say, well, what's the difference? Look how much we trade. Look, Turkey, through all this period, the amount of trade between Turkey and Israel consistently rises, right. which some say, look, it's an expression of the people versus the government. The yeah. government continues to uh, 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 completely deteriorate in, in regard to, to the positions it's taken. Uh, Erdogan's statements and others from Turkey have gotten worse and worse, and we see the domestic situation unrelated to Israel as well. And yet, the trade continues to be sustained and, and increase throughout. So they are able to bifurcate their relationships into the different segments and not relate. You can sit at the U.N., condemn the United States, condemn Israel, and at the same time have delegations coming on an ever-increasing number from China, from Japan, from India, from all these other countries. <laughs> and, and India also, which has professed such friendship, did not vote. The right way. Right. It's humorous to an extent, but uh, yeah, I well, guess. No, but you know what? Again, we shouldn't dismiss, and, and that is the danger uh, that people dismiss what happens at the UN is not important. It is important in the end because it establishes a record and it says that the international community has taken a stand. And if they're fa failing to recognize the Jewish relationship to Israel, that could have long term consequences. So, people, umshmum is not a, a policy, it's a mm -hmm. mistake. So you're at this Islamic country uh, um, a conference, and I guess your 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 main function is to defend and explain the position of the United States and Israel when it comes to Jerusalem. When you finish presenting, do any representatives come over and 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 show any type of uh, of of um, understanding of your position, or are they or do they remain very hard line during the uh, the social time of a conference like that? Well, I would say that first that the applause for the Iranian who gave the most extreme speech, and it was Rouhani's uh, speech that was read by his chief of staff, a top official, and uh, it got uh, applause, but very little, I would say. Okay. Lukewarm, um, lukewarm reaction. Uh, lukewarm reaction, exactly. So people, they were uncomfortable, but immediately after the session, and I sat on the front row next to where the Iranian was sitting, the president of Azerbaijan, the religious leaders, you know, uh, representatives of the Christian faiths, uh, very high-level people uh, were there. And um, and I was sitting in the front row with my yarmulke, with everything, and, and we were greeted on the way in uh, pretty warmly by people. And on the way out... There were some who felt bad, who, you know, so it was uncomfortable and, and et cetera. But I decided I was going to wait until my chance to talk, where, honestly, I blasted them. And I got applause. Wow. I'm not going to tell you it was overwhelming, but I got applause. And many people, people came up to take pictures uh, from Pakistan, from other countries that you wouldn't think so, that they would feel comfortable, but... The um, myself and the other two Jews who were there, uh, and I have to say, uh, Abraham Cooper followed me uh, uh, down on the on the uh, speaking, and also spoke about Jerusalem very strongly. The uh, you know, again, it's 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 strange for a Western mind because you see the inconsistency right. in the positions. Right. That's it. That's that's really it. It's hard for, for people like us to adjust to that type of thing and to and to separate everything into different categories, especially when it's so extreme. When one that's, when one of the categorical true. reactions is so extreme, it's but, hard to do that. Well, let me tell you one other thing. I, I met. I came the day before from Israel. You know, I got the Begin Prize, of which I'm very proud. Mazal Tov. My relationship with Begin made it all the more meaningful, though that wasn't the reason I got it. But it was really a, 
for me, such a, a meaningful and touching event. And the uh, so I went from there and I arrived in, in Baku, in Azerbaijan, and the president invited me to, for a meeting. And what was interesting was supposed to be 20 minutes. It was an hour and 10 minutes, and he had many people waiting outside because uh, other leaders who were there. And it was interesting of all the meetings he had, the one picture they put out the next morning on the newspapers, in the newspapers, was the picture of he and I sitting there with my yarmulke very visible. <laughs> and they took it from an angle so that you could see my yarmulke. They could have easily done it from the front or right. from the, you know, as right. we walked in. And, you know, and then I, I did an interview, and that was the one that they chose to, to play up. And the, you know, so Azerbaijan is an unusual country. You have a Jewish community. It's lived there in peace. They have yeshiva there. They have other facilities there that uh, are remarkable. You know, they provide a kosher food for us. And the uh, president himself is, is an amazing friend of Israel, even though he didn't vote the right way at the United Nations either. Right. <laughs> so, don't ask for consistency when it comes to Middle East or Israel. They don't feel the pressure. I'm telling you, nobody put, I get maybe, maybe we don't have the capability of putting enough pressure, or Israel doesn't have the capability of putting enough pressure on some of these countries. But also, well, as you. But when the, you're uh, sitting on the border of Iran right. and Russia right. and Turkey, and you have all of these domestic pressures on you and the threat of the Islamists. And tens of countries influencing you to vote their way. Right. Right. So, but but just look at, you have to look at people's geopolitical and rea- uh, realities and where, where they are. And despite the fact that they act courageously in Israeli Air Force, you know, and they have very close relationships that don't go further and many other things. So you say, what is important? You condemn them because they can't. They don't feel that they can break with the consensus on the vote, or do you say, "Let's look at the realities and see w- w- what situation they're in," and despite that, how far they have come and what they do? It's America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program, heard on listener-sponsored digital radio around the world on the web at NachumSiegel.com, on the NachumSiegel Network, and of course on the beloved NSN app. We ask everybody on this final Friday of 2017 to help support our great work at JMNAM and the uh, NSN Network. Go to fjbunity.org. FJB stands for the Foundation for Jewish Broadcasting, fjbunity.org, and give as generously as possible before the clock strikes midnight on uh, Sunday night. Um, what In light of the uh, Japanese vote and the way it went in the U.N. and uh, the, what we just discussed regarding Japan, what did you think of them throwing their hat into the ring of uh, hosting a Middle East peace summit? Look, if people are looking at the what they see as a diminishing role for the United States. I do not agree with that. Um, and Japan and China, they can all host very nice parties, but they can't have an impact on the negotiations. Only the United States can. Europe and the United, and especially after this, the events at the UN has disqualified itself. It has it proven its track record in the Middle East is not something that they can boast about. So, is there still a quartet? Is there still a quartet or not? Pardon me? Is there still a quartet officially or not? There is a quartet still. I don't think it has met in a long time. And, um, you know, it was a former prime minister of Britain who, who kept it alive. But um, it, it is not, I don't think it, is conven- it has convened in a long time. And it would be very hard. You know, the United States and Russia virtually have nothing to talk about. And the French and British, again, that by their positions, have, have estranged themselves even more. But so Japan and China and everybody else wants to play on the international scene. They want to be uh, machers and, you know, um, 
place by convening such a gathering that that would elevate them is not going to result in anything unless it's the United States. And by pandering to Abbas's incalcitrance and his uh, insulting remarks to the U.S. and to others, I think, is a, is a mistake. The only thing that works is showing strength. One, we should reward our allies. Countries like Azerbaijan and others do not get the attention from the U.S. that they should. But on the other hand, we have to be tough and send very strong messages now. We, our interests are being threatened every day, and it is an increasing threat with the coalescence of, of uh, Russia with um, with Iran and Turkey, just as they coalesced, by the way, in Sykes-Picot, they actually pulled out later, leaving it to the French and British. But they, it was the similarities. I think are are uh, great, in, at least on the superficial level, about what is happening. And we're seeing every day that the their interests are spreading. You see now the Iranian-backed forces in Lebanon near the Lebanese border encroaching closer and closer to Israel. Uh, we see the the expansionism that both are engaged in throughout the region. And, you know, countries like Saudi Arabia, UAE, others are, are being threatened. We, we have to, and Egypt, and we have to do more to stand up for our friends, for these countries, and send the message that we will, we will be there to protect our interests, which is to see to it that these, you know, a government like President Sisi uh, survives and sustains. That might require Israel to uh, have stronger reaction up north. When it comes to the Lebanese absolutely, yeah. it's not. It's not. Maybe if it continues, it's, yeah, it's no choice. It's no like, choice. I mean, exactly. It, and, Israel's and, taking a lot of steps, by the way, to fortify those borders, uh, border in the north, and they've they've done a lot of things to changing the topography, meaning the um, physical situation on the ground, but also uh, with the reinforcements and uh, a lot of concern about. What the, what they call the war in the north, and we should mention it's a good time to mention based on this morning's news that the uh, uh, that Israel in the south in the south portion of Israel uh, next to the Gaza Strip is being hit by rocket fire, and the IDF uh, felt it uh, felt it um, important to respond to that. Uh, they have this to. Morning. They have to. You cannot even and they will say Hamas will say, well, it's not us, it's Islamic Jihad. They are in charge. They are held accountable for what happens. And the fact is that look, the United Nations. Nobody gives a damn that innocent civilians are being fired upon across an international border from which Israel completely withdrew. And and they still talk about it as if Israel is an occupying power there and and in charge rather than saying here's the PA here's Hamas here's how that what they do when they're given control and uh, of their own destiny and they use it for uh, only to destroy the interests of people and enrich the leadership. Yeah, well, that's the old story is for sure. When the president of the United States after the whole UN thing went out with the statement about the Western Wall always must be part of Jerusalem. That, that was doubling down on what had happened, or that was sort of calming things down, showing that, again, like he did in the original speech, that he's only concerned when it comes to Jewish tradition with the Western Wall, and the Temple Mount will be something dealt with later on. Look, I think it was a much more innocent statement than the way it was uh, um, portrayed, that they said we don't see any circumstance right now in which the Western Wall wouldn't remain in Jewish hands. Well, that doesn't mean much. Frankly, I'd rather him say that the Temple Mount will remain in Jewish hands. Because, yeah. you know, it's stones, and we, it's only holiness is by virtue of its location uh, abutting the, the Temple Mount. And the, but the, the statement, I think, was, was much more innocent and, and, and uh, straightforward and not some sort of a, you know, meant to create a new policy. It was a simple statement of fact, and I don't know anybody 
who can think today that you, you would end up with a circumstance where these areas would not remain under Jewish control, Israel uh, control. Understood. The Ambassador David Friedman has been, uh, for, for, the, for those who are uh, always fighting for a greater Israel and, like, and would like to see a greater Israel, uh, it's amazing some of the things he says and should be commended for it. He has taken on the State Department and their insistence on using the word occupied when it comes to quote-unquote occupied territories. Now, I don't think much is going to change in the way the State Department deals with this, but uh, he felt it was important to get out there and make the statement. Yeah, it's quite remarkable, but uh, the State Department still remains what it was. And uh, unfortunately, you see that personnel changes haven't taken place, and more and more of it is it is being relegated to their irrelevance, um, maybe with the exception of the secretary with his small group, but the overall State Department. And uh, there are many vacant key positions. It's, you know, America needs a vibrant and robust diplomatic corps and, and advocacy group. Um, and right now that is not uh, what most of the people I meet around the world feel is, is happening. Uh, we had went through a period of American retrenchment or disengagement as perceived by certainly by our friends in the Middle East and um, they thought that this would change dramatically. I think that the message sent by the president on Israel though has a salutary effect on the other countries when they see that America stands by its friends, it stands up for an ally, it does what it believes is right, doesn't back off, and starts to use its power and its influence to set certain standards and say well, we're not going to continue just to be, you know, the targets and and to be trampled upon as uh, as is often the case. Yeah, no question about it. Very important message, of course. Uh, what do you think of the uh, proposal to to name the the Western Wall train station after President Trump? I don't know how much thought goes into these things when they make it, and ministers just make pronouncements. And by the way, there are about a half a dozen proposals to name things for Trump, uh, for President Trump, uh, all over Israel, in different places in Israel. Um, I think, you know, we've named places for other presidents. I don't see why, you know, it's not such an unusual thing and, and a tribute that he earned by virtue of what he has done in these these weeks. Uh, I don't know about the train station. Uh, well, let's see when it's built and when it actually uh, gets, to, get, gets to be functional. Uh, of course, the Palestinians and others are going to react, have reacted negatively to it, and, uh, and it calls and highlights, you know, that they have what they have to do there to dig to make the station uh, feasible. Uh, I think in many cases, you don't highlight, you talk, don't talk so much, get it done. And the reality always shows that it doesn't change anything on the ground. It doesn't threaten anybody. Uh, and they could certainly name it for President Trump at that time. Hmm, interesting. Uh, a couple of stories that I better get to, otherwise, <laughs> otherwise I'm going to hear about it. Um, it, it would be un- if we put if you put together a list based on your vantage point of those who are responsible for the work behind um, uh, securing the commutation of the Rubashkin sentence. It, it would be a pretty long list. Am I right about that or not? Many people over the years. Uh, wrote letters, helped. There were some who obviously devoted themselves to this to a greater degree, especially his daughter and um, people in different organizations. Uh, many, many who, I mean, I know the people who wrote me and contacted us about different initiatives, which we supported, that uh, there were many people who, who contributed uh, to it. But it's really uh, got to look at it as a, as a great message for, for Hanukkah of, that, of the, this year. That uh, he that this injustice 
that the length of his sentence. Uh, and I think now they should let it go quiet, let him build his life, rebuild his life with his family, and uh, that work for on behalf of others who are suffering from injustices. Uh, so you were not surprised at the uh, at the scope of the worldwide celebration because it was such a, because the length of the sentence was such an injustice. I think it was a reaction in that people who had worked hard all the time, and you know, people the people like Benny Lipschitz at the Ted, who you know stayed on this week after week, and people you know started to take this on because they saw that it was. Uh, uh, I mean, that anti-Semitism was involved here is hard to argue against. And that uh, wow, and you don't, yeah, and you don't jump to that very often, right? But I think that in this case, too many things that can't be explained, and especially some of the statements by the judge and other things that raise really serious questions. And and many lawyers, many former Justice Department officials, many others came out in favor of of uh, of lessening the sentence, of commuting it, of pardon. Uh, because they saw the injustice in this, and the, and the rationality of some of it is just it was just incredible, and, right. I, I, and I regret some of the recriminations that you hear now, and and other things we should focus on building support and thanking those who who were involved and who helped uh, see, get to secure the release. But it's ultimately it was the president's decision. Yeah. Um... And of course, uh, I'm sure as soon as you saw this story, you knew that our listeners would uh, demand that we get a reaction from you. And we didn't have the chance last week. Um, this Politico piece, I'll read the first paragraph, although I really could read so much of it, of this very long piece, just to explain to everybody uh, what's going on here and what they've learned. In its determination to secure a nuclear deal with Iran, the Obama administration derailed an ambitious law enforcement campaign targeting drug trafficking by the Iranian-backed terrorist group Hezbollah, even as it was funneling cocaine in the U.S., this according to a Politico investigation. The campaign dubbed Project Cassandra was launched in 2008 after the DEA amassed evidence that Hezbollah had transformed itself from a Middle East-focused military and political organization into an international crime syndicate that some investigators believe was collecting $1 billion a year from drug and weapons trafficking, money laundering, and other criminal activities. Over the next eight years, agents working out of a top-secret DEA facility in Virginia used wiretaps, undercover operations, and informants to map Hezbollah's illicit networks with the help of 30 U.S. and foreign security agencies. And the report, Malcolm, of course, as you know, accuses the Obama administration of of setting as many hurdles in the way as possible in this investigation in order to secure the nuclear deal with Iran. What uh, is your comment about this article? Well, that was uh, the essence of the article, and um, and Politico and the reporter really deserve a lot of credit. They worked a long time on it. Lee Smith has since written about it, and an important article that appeared yesterday that I hope people will read as well, uh, because this is a very important story. And uh, I, I just have to add that those who listen to us regularly know right. that I've talked. I talked about this right. years ago mm-hmm. when, and we have been following. You describe this as the way that they fund terrorism, uh, exactly. And even here in the United States, not just right. in in uh, Lebanon, but right. and, and globally, actually through South America, the trade routes, the, the smuggling routes, and it involves narco terrorism and weapon smuggling and mafia operations, all sorts of things in our own country, and. Uh, this certainly warrants a thorough investigation. 
that if there was a deliberate effort to to squash, and it, I think his evidence is very credible, and from what I know and I have known, and I get, you know my frustration on this issue and related aspects that administrations did not pursue, and uh, that even some of the tobacco others had joined in efforts to expose these illicit networks, which were funding Hezbollah in America, let alone around the world, but hundreds of millions of dollars in the United States, uh, supposedly is going to them because of the and tech supporting terrorist uh, operations. So this requires and and really warrants, and this is not you know just the political bandwagons and the normal rivalries where people have charges and countercharges. That's the problem today that almost nothing is taken seriously because you have so many charges and countercharges and you know with Russia and other things and then serious issues get shunted aside because people just get tired of it or, or glaze over on it. This is fundamental. This is a question of whether the Justice Department was stopped from uh, concluding this investigation or implementing an investigation uh, that threatened American security, American national interest. Unbelievable. Um, I, I would guess the majority, if not all, the blame would be at the feet of President Obama? Or his associates or people connected to him. And it's not just uh, the president himself. Uh, this, this had to be a decision uh, that starts at top or high up. But... Um, Many other people had to be involved in implementing it, and I know that there are probably a lot of uh, agents who worked on this or people in government who have to be very frustrated and angry and regrettably didn't go public at the time when it maybe still could have been saved. Unbelievable. There'll be more about this, I'm sure, right? Oh, this is not going to go away. When the Congress comes back, I'm sure that there will be uh, hearings on it, investigations of it. The uh, question is, you know, with time, it, it's harder to do it, but the, the, there probably is ample evidence is still available that we could at least ascertain the truth and find out how high up did it really go, and does it reach into the White House, to the Oval Office, or was there others who could have done this and sent the word, you know, to to kill this? All right, weekly update will return next. Oh, um, Diplomat Hotel? You think that'll be the site of the uh, of the embassy in Jerusalem? They're looking at various uh, locations. They own various locations now. One I'm told that they had hoped would be is was is now being built up around it. So they, they know certainly the area around the Diplomat Hotel is very built up. It would be uh, a lot of congestion there in that that area because it's a heavily tra- travel and, and uh, residential area near the hotels. But I don't think the problem is finding a location. I think there are ample places where an embassy could be built. If it's a diplomat, that will be fine. It will take years to, to do it. And I don't think the projections of 2018, 19, 20, 21 are, are feasible. I think it will take uh, longer. But regardless, if they start the process, uh, it will be important. And I hope that others will and people should secure their places in in Jerusalem because the prices are going to go up once embassies start moving because they'll need offices, they'll need residences, they'll need to uh, establish themselves over the coming years. Yes or no, the U.N. offices will be evicted from Jerusalem. <laughs> Is that a no? <laughs> uh, no, it will, well, they won't evict it. And uh, Mladenov uh, has good relations uh, with many people in the administration. But uh, there are increasing calls about it, but I don't think that that's 
that's likely oh, and, the right way. And we didn't get your comment about the close to $300 million budget cut that the U.S. has now ordered regarding the U.N. payments. Uh, long overdue. We, we yeah, paid a disproportionate it. amount just to be disproportionately criticized and attacked yeah. and ignored. And I think uh, one has to say that Nikki Haley has been uh, amazing in her in her presentations and Incredible. her consistency. Uh, reminds one back to the days of John Bolton and people like that. It's yeah. a, there is a tradition. Um, um, we had others uh, who uh, over the years were were really. Um, Terrific speakers, spokespeople stood up for America, let alone standing up for Israel. When they stand up for Israel, they are standing up for America's interest and America's position. And the the, um, the but she she has really been uh, outstanding. And and people should not think that this is water off a duck's back at the UN. That they can all say, you know, that doesn't matter. It matters. And when they say we're going to start counting heads, when countries that want stuff from the United States, as all do. Start thinking about the price they're going to pay for it, and we have to make them pay a price. There has to be some example set, at least, that you know gives teeth to the to the threat that the and, and her uh, um, her declaration that you know we're going to take names. Right. Don't people should not dismiss the significance of that. There is still only one United States. That's for sure. Uh, by the way, on the NSN app, uh, a listener says, Mr. Holmline, you are a walking Kiddush Hashem. We continue to be inspired by your work and determination to do what's right. So it looks like you had a good week, Malcolm. <laughs> thank you. I appreciate it. Believe me, it's nice to hear. <laughs> uh, thank you very much. Have a wonderful Shabbos. And we will speak, Bezrat Hashem, next Friday morning. Malcolm Holmline is Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. Joins us Fridays for the weekly update here at JM and the AM.